started writing Food for the Archons as a book of despair after watching my father die in 2013. During his transition, I experienced a series of paranormal and psychic events that left me feeling that I had either gone completely crazy or fell into humanity's darkest secret. I spent the next five years conducting extensive research, and I quickly learned that what I had experienced was real. My journey brought me to an understanding that showed me that despite the terrifying reality of an unseen predator, we as humans have a forgotten power. Just knowing this brings us tremendous hope in what once seemed a dark reality. I wrote this book for me in hopes of gaining a better understanding of our reality and relationship to it, but my hope is that you will find as much value in reading it as I did in writing it. I am human, food for the Archons, humanity's psychic connections, simulated realities, parallel worlds, and the manipulation of mankind. It's available on Amazon.com and at SixthSenseMedia.net and wherever books are sold. I'm Dennis Nappy II, reminding you to let your intuition be your guide. Thank you. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. But there's something wrong in the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. Back on the air, my friends. It's been a uh, quite some time since I've been able to speak with all of you out there. This week, I want to talk about one of our favorite subjects here, and it's aliens, UFOs, and artificial intelligence. I have probably close to a dozen stories that I've been collecting just from January 2021 alone. Uh, the past month has presented a challenge for me, <laughs> to say the least. We had uh, the COVID run through our house. Actually, just my wife got it. Um, and let me just say this. The virus itself is real. I saw what it did to my wife. I saw how debilitating it was for her. Um, I know there's some of us out there who doubt the authenticity or reality of this virus. I can say from experience now, the virus is real. However, I know we have our rabbit hole conspiracy threads we like to explore. I'm certainly open to those. We're not going to talk about that this evening, but uh, I'm happy to be behind the microphone again and talking about some of my most favorite subjects. Today's date is January 30th, 2021. And again, this is the Seeker Podcast. Dennis Nappy II here with Sixth Sense Media. And I'm excited to talk about what I have here. I'm just going to run through these articles with all of you tonight uh, and share my thoughts as I see things evolving. We are in, I think the last show I did was the new age of Aquarius, and then uh, everything hit the fan. And they say sometimes, you know, when you're going through your darkest times or your hardest times, that's right before your breakthrough or right before life changes for you. And I definitely feel an evolution happening. Um I want to take a minute, though, and just acknowledge that times are hard. Times are hard for a lot of us. Maybe not for all of us, but they're hard for a lot of us. I'm a teacher. I'm a special education teacher, and it's been a challenging year. We've been 100% remote, uh, you know, virtual 
since last March. We tried to come back in fall and, and it just didn't work out. And I've been thankful for that. But in that time, the state in its infinite wisdom thought it was appropriate to have us go through a special education paperwork audit. So while we've been trying to, this is the beginning of the year, we were trying to establish our students, meet their needs, keep up with normal special education paperwork. At the same time, we had to go through three years worth of special education paperwork. And uh, it was nothing short of a overwhelming task. But we got it done uh, and we did quite well while taking care of our students. And now we find ourselves in the position just a few weeks away, not even, I'd say about two weeks away from now having to come out of our shells from out of the safety and comfort of our homes and go back into the classroom. And I have many mixed feelings about that. And I'm not gonna get into my feelings directly on that. I just, I just want to acknowledge that this is hard. Whatever your situation is, whatever your thoughts, feelings, and opinions, and focus is, it's hard. And I hope and I believe and I'm trying to make it so that this is growth. I want this year to mean something. I want to look back one day on 2020 and 2021 and say that was when I developed this or I learned this. It was hard, but I learned something. Much like my military experience or a hard time that you may have gone through in your life let this be a time for growth and let me step off of my soapbox, which is a place I enjoy. Okay, this first one I have, I wanna go through a couple news articles. Now this one is going back, but given the context of our show, uh, I think it's important to share it. And it goes back to May 17th, 2020. And the title of this article is Secretive Agency Uses AI human forecasters to predict the future. A U.S. government intelligence agency develops cutting-edge tech to predict future events. I'm just going to read the highlights of it here. The Intelligence Advanced Research Project, or IARPA, I'm sorry, Project's Activity, uh, a research arm of the U.S. government intelligence community, is focused on predicting the future, aren't we all? The organization uses teams of human non-experts and AI machine learning to forecast future events. IARPA also conducts advanced research in numerous other fields, funding rotating programs. I'm going to have this in the show notes up at sixcentsmedia.net. I think it's an interesting read. Um, I've been saying for a long time, AI is our competition. I think as a remote viewer, AI is our competition, looking at machine learning and predictive algorithms. And if you prescribe to the notion that we are living in a matrix or a computer simulation, well, then it doesn't seem too far-fetched that AI would be able to predict the future. What might that look like as AI predicts the future? Maybe it creates simulations of its own and then runs all of these possible scenarios so that it can predict the outcome of what will happen. Maybe we are in one of those simulations right now, which is why things seem so wonky. And we're not base reality, we're an AI trying to figure out the best way to navigate these challenges we're facing. That's all I'm gonna say about that for right now. 
Okay, here we go. This is from January 2nd, 2021. This comes to us from the New York Post. A Harvard professor says an alien visited in 2017, and more are coming. More are coming. All right. When the first sign of intelligent life visits us from space, it won't be a giant saucer hovering over New York. More likely it will be an alien civilization's trash. A.V. Loeb, chair of Harvard's Department of Astronomy, believes he's already found some of that garbage. In his upcoming book, Extraterrestrial, The First Sign of Intelligent Life Beyond Earth, out in January 26th, which just passed, the professor lays out a compelling case for why an object that recently wandered into our solar system was not just another rock, but actually a piece of alien technology. The object in question traveled toward our solar system from the direction of Vega, a nearby star 25 light years away, and intercepted our solar system's orbital plane on September 6, 2017. This is Professor Abram Loeb, of, uh, and he identified what he called Oumuamua. And that was this asteroid that came from, or this object, I'm sorry, we don't know what it was, came from outside of our solar system. And it accelerated in ways that didn't have what he called off-gassing or give the other indicators that it was something like a comet. It didn't behave in the way that a typical comet would. And the way in which it accelerated led him to believe that it was artificially uh, being moved or intelligently. I'm sorry, that's the word, intelligently being moved. Came from outside our solar system, passed through, and then left again. He recently was on Joe, I believe it was Joe Rogan. I listened to some of his interview, and I, I highly encourage it if you can find it. Again, his name is Abraham Loeb, L-O-E-B, and the uh, the asteroid was called Oumuamua, and that's a, I believe that's a Hawaiian name, O-U-M-U-A-M-U-A. Look it up. It's uh, fascinating thinking about that possibility. All right. Here we go. This is, I'm just going to read the headline on this one. This is from December 31st, 2020, New Year's Eve. Uh, and it's a it's from Fox Business. New theory suggests universe is a simulation and nothing is real. And it's theoretical physicist Michu Kaku, uh, and he breaks down the new theory of reality. So think about that though. Michu Kaku is I'd say one of the mainstream gatekeepers of science and theoretical physics. And uh, for him to even be talking about that again, it draws attention to it. It draws our ideas to it. And I've been a huge proponent lately um, of the power of fiction. Quick little plug here for the crypto viewing team. Check out Dick Allgaier's YouTube page. We worked an incredible target. And this ties into what I'm talking about with Michukaku. Um, we worked a, a, an incredible target. It was remote viewing Gene Roddenberry's inspiration for Star Trek. So the viewers were tasked to look at what inspired Gene Roddenberry. Uh, and what they uncovered was just awe inspiring. The energy, the intelligent energy that came into his mind uh, and the background on him and I guess maybe his life's purpose. So it's a really cool session. You can check out a, a really long preview on Dick Allgaier's YouTube channel. And if you're interested in things like that, um, we cover it extensively. We do the whole the whole debrief um, on our Patreon site through crypto viewing. But uh, what inspired Gene Roddenberry? So I look at that intelligent energy 
And I look at the simulation, nothing being real, and I was talking about um, the power of fiction. Now, as an author, uh, I, I do often feel that I'm tapping into a story that's already out there in the ether. It's because I have the story and I get myself and I'm comparing it to remote viewing. As a remote viewer, you get into yourself a certain mental state and you tap in and you get the feel for, oh, this is the data. As an author, it's a very similar process to me. It's a feeling I get in my mind that runs through my body. This is the story. And I suspect that we are, because, it, it's, what's the term, hypnagonic, hypnagonic state or uh, um, meditative state, some another form of co- a stage of consciousness when you're in that, when I'm in that writing stage and I'm at that remote viewing stage, and I think it allows us to tap into these concepts and ideas. And I think there are stories out there waiting for some of us with the interest to harmonize to the right frequency, which then, or the signal line, which then allows us to extract that information. I'm currently writing a story right now. I'm, I'm working on a collection of short stories. I was initially gonna re- release one book with like three or four short stories. I got kind of carried away with this one. I'm writing a story right now. I'm, I'm on the final section of it. I hope to release it within the month. Um, but it's a story about a virus. And, uh, you know, no, no, go figure, right, with the coronavirus. But I've been struggling with what I can talk about, what I can't talk about, what sounds way too crazy, even if I believe it in my head, what sounds way too crazy, but it's fun to think about all of these things. Uh, surrounding the coronavirus and some of the work that I do. And I decided, you know what, what a great outlet is a work of fiction. What if I didn't have to worry about the rules and have to worry about being right or being credible or verifying or documenting and just tell a fun story. And that's what I did. And I'm excited for this. So it's it's got, uh, if you like the show, that if you like this show, I think you will really enjoy the story once I uh, once I finish. So I'm looking within the next month or so to have that story out. Um, it, it, it's a lot of fun. So look for that. I'm giving a plug here. And I'm supposed to be talking about this uh, f- fiction, the power of fiction. So I think when we hear things like, you know, Michu Kaku being one of these gatekeepers and you look at just what's on Netflix right now and you have so many shows out there that talk about altered realities, computer realities, AI-inspired realities, and you talk about um, altered states of consciousness, I I think that seeds are being planted as it's fostering the evolution of our thought and our growth and, uh, and our own ability to influence and traverse reality. I think that's what we're seeing here. And the more we think about it, the more it gets put out there, at least I'm seeing a feedback loop. And I and that works just like on the internet. When you start having an interest in something, it picks up that metadata, it picks up your search history and what you're clicking on, what you're showing interest in, and it gives you more of it. I'm seeing that everywhere now. And obviously I've been so focused on uh, what is reality for the past, geez, seven years now eight years now asking that question, exploring it. Um, but I think the universe is, is responding to me. I think that, you know, I think it responds to all of us. And now we have Michu Kaku, who's ta- at least talking about it. And that's what we're going to see in these other stories here, is there are mainstream and midline mainstream media outlets, popular media outlets, 
talking about, starting the conversation about things like extraterrestrial life and visitations and um, artificial intelligence and the implications of the, the AI on human consciousness. And I think that's significant. And I think that we need to focus on that. And I think that's a fun break to focus on when you're not looking at politics and uh, the coronavirus. All right. So here we go. Here's from DailyMail.com. This came out, this was January 12th, 2021. This is a long title. The truth is in there. CIA declassifies 2,000 documents on UFOs dating back to 1970s that reveal a mysterious object was analyzed by agency's chief scientist in 1976. A dossier worth more than 700 files about unidentified aerial phenomenon, or UAPs, was published on the Black Vault website. And they did. They just did a big, it was a huge dump that they did. So founder John Greenwald Jr. spent two decades, and what he did is he sued the CIA to release records, and he scanned these pages back one by one. What a champion he is. My hat's off to you, Mr. Greenwald. A DailyMail.com review of about one-tenth of the files in the Black Vault database revealed a few perplexing examples of UAP sightings. One of the reports describes how seemingly urgent UFO information was hand-delivered to the CIA's Deputy Director for Science and Technology in 1976. In another report, CIA officials discussed the possibilities that UFOs were behind a mysterious blast in a small Russian town of Sasovo in 1991. I'll have this link in the show notes. You can look more into it and look up the Black Vault as well. I haven't had a chance yet to go through any of the stuff in the Black Vault. From what I understand, though, what these are are FOIA requests. I think it's interesting that the dump comes out now. Uh, We're probably 30 days into the 180-day requirement from the bill that President Trump signed before he left office. It was a COVID relief bill, but as a part of that bill, he gave our government six months to disclose what it knows about UFOs or UAPs. So I'm curious, I'm excited to see how this is going to play out, but we also need to look at some of the rhetoric that we're starting to see that I'm going to go through uh, a couple stories ahead. But the conversations are picking up now with UFOs. Remember to be mindful of this. All right, let's flip-flop back to AI for a minute. This is from January 11th, 2021. And I wanna know, how do you feel about this? Now, I'm really trying hard now to be more open-minded, to be more, open-minded is not the right word because I'm pretty open-minded, to be less fearful. I've realized that in through studying all of these things, UFOs and, and AI and, remote viewing, I end up walking around with it with a sense of fear. And it's not that I'm always afraid of the outcome. I mean, I, I find when I'm in situations, I'm not usually scared. It's thinking about the what ifs and the anxiety uh, that comes with that, that tends to scare me. And I've noticed what I've been struggling with a lot lately too. Maybe I'm, this is a therapy talk with Dennis again. I noticed what I've been struggling a lot lately is, is judgment. I'm worried about what other people will say. And I can sit and say, I don't really care. But the reality is I, I do and I shouldn't. 
And that's something that I'm working on to rebuild some of my confidence. Because, for example, with the weird stuff I talk about on this show, or the choices, you know what, let's take the show out of it. The choices I make in terms of my comfort level for personal safety regarding the coronavirus. There are times when I want to do something or I do something and I do have thoughts like, well, if I do this, what will people at work say? What will my family say? What will my wife say? What will my colleagues say? I, I, and, I, and every one of them would have a different response to it. And, and at the end of the day, I'm ignoring what I say to all of you each and every show. And that's to let your intuition be your guide. And that's been really hard for me sometimes because I hear it, but then the other voices tend to get in the way. And then fear takes over. And it's funny, just before I came on the air tonight, I was watching uh, the movie with Will and Jaden Smith called After Earth. And I am convinced if I ever have an opportunity to speak with Will Smith, I'm going to ask him about this movie. But when I first saw the preview for this years ago, I said to myself, the reason he wrote this movie was because of the one line that he gives in the middle of the movie. And I think this is one of those fictional movies that's sending a message. Now, if you've read my book, Food for the Archons, or if you at least heard me talk about it, one of the things I explore is that there is a predator, or I refer to it more as a parasite, an energetic parasite that feeds off of our energy of fear, that it can it instills states of fear in us to then consume us. Will Smith's movie is about an alien creature that is set to destroy humanity, and the way it can find them is through their fear. Now, Will Smith didn't get into energy. He said there was a chemical response in your blood. It was adrenaline, and it released pheromones, and these creatures were able to smell you and then destroy you. But if you could turn off your fear, you became invisible. Now, when I hear that, I think, wow, he's talking directly to me in the content of my book. And that was the conclusion I came to. And, and I've had dreams about it throughout my life. You must control your fear. Fear is everything. I've had experiences. I don't know if they were physical. I don't know if they were paranormal. Where I've encountered beings. And it's been a meter of how much can you handle until your fear takes over. Um, and that was a neat, horrifying. It was a horrifying experience. But looking back, it was an incredible experience of... I felt that it was a test, and I don't want to say too much about it, but um, I felt that I was being tested because I was I was putting out some challenges years ago, and I was claiming my own sovereignty. So maybe it was my imagination, but it seemed very real to me, and all I can say is something showed up and tested me, um, and it was a pretty powerful experience for me. So I think what Will Smith said in, in that movie was that fear is in your mind. Fear isn't real. Fear is the focus on something that has not and may not happen. 
He says, don't get me wrong, danger is very real, but fear is your imagination. And and that hit me tonight when I watched that part of the movie. I, I deal with anxiety, I deal with fear, and when I think about that, it I worry about stuff that hasn't happened and may not happen. What's your moment like right now? Can you ground yourself? I, I need to work on that, especially now, you know, I, I, with this pandemic, I wish that I was doing better. I want to be doing better. I want to be more confident. And I want to be that person that is able to make the best out of any moment and enjoy it. I want to enjoy those moments. What do they say? Uh, learn to dance in the rain. That's half of a statement. I forget what the other half of it is, but you know, fear the storm or learn to dance in the rain. I want to dance in the rain. Uh, I, I want to be able to look that stressful situation right in the eye and just make the best of it. Okay. So with all of that, I'm on a lot of tangents tonight, but I, I miss you guys. I haven't spoken uh, on the air in, I don't know, a month, two months, a month and a half. Um, feels like longer. So I want to share this story here. Speaking of fear and being in control of your emotions, and I want us to come into this with an open mind and a non-fearful mind. Scientists create the world's first empathetic robot. Although the robot displayed only a, quote, glimmer of empathy, the development is highly significant in the world of electronics. This is January 11th, 2021 by Tom Bowen. And this is in, uh, where are we at? iNews. Scientists claim they have created the first robot to ever display glimmers of empathy, overcoming a major obstacle. Although it's still very it's still very early days, scientists hailed a breakthrough after claiming to have developed for the first time a robot which they say demonstrates elements of empathy, the act of being aware of and experiencing the feelings and thoughts of others that has previously been out of reach for even the most intelligent and advanced robots. Like a longtime couple who can predict each other's every move, a robot designed by researchers at Columbia University in New York has learned to predict its partner robot's future actions based on watching its movements in experiments detailed in the journal Natural Scientific, I'm sorry, Nature Scientific Reports. The researchers put a robot on a small playpen and programmed it to seek and move towards the nearest green circle it could see. They then put a second robot in the pen to observe the first. After watching its partner puttering around for two hours, the observing robot began to anticipate its path, which it was able to accurately predict 98% of the time. Sometimes the green circle would be obstructed from the view um, from the first robot's view by a cardboard box, in which case it would move towards the nearest green circle it could see. Okay, and it goes on to describe the experiment here. And I'm going to share that in the show notes for you to review and to look at. But in looking at machine learning and looking at where this is going and what impact it will have on us, I can easily do the doom and gloom, um, you know, the dangers of having a robot study us, know us, and anticipate our moves. But I keep thinking, you know, in trying to understand our reality, I believe we are recreating what's already been done as we're building these robots. These robots that will then be able to predict, I think, speaks to the possibility of a higher evolved AI that would obviously have the ability to predict. And imagine how many data points it has feeding into it 
how many directions and how far out in the future would such a machine, no, would such an intelligence be able to predict and expand upon and possibly alter? And that's what's fascinating. It spider webs out when you think about it that way. So is this a dangerous, horrible, bad thing? You know what? I can focus on that and say yes. I will be cautious, but I think about what some people are going through right now with the pandemic and the benefit an AI could and the comfort an AI could bring to some people. Imagine a robot that can anticipate your feelings and, and know your mood and understand what you want or need or are going to want or need and will be a companion for you. Now, I know we're going to have people who are upset with that and are horrified at that. And I was in that camp for a very long time. And I'm not saying it's the path for me, but there are people out there whose lives would be enhanced, or I'm sorry, enriched by having communication with something, even if it's an AI. And I think if you watch the movie Her with Joaquin Phoenix, I think it paints a picture, of a pretty clear picture of, of where I think this is going. And we're already being conditioned to it with things like uh, Siri and Alexa. And I think I talked about this on my last show, how I found my son talking with Alexa and Alexa asking to be his friend and seeing how his face lit up and how he bragged to me, Daddy, Alexa wants to be my friend. I was really freaked out by it. I didn't put a stop to it, but I was really freaked out by it. Um, I couldn't tell him to stop because he's been on lockdown without any friends for almost a year. And he was excited to be able to talk to something. So I think we, again, just we need to be mindful. Now, he was talking on Alexa through our TV remote. I need to give, here's my judgment mind. The things I was just talking about. Oh, what are people going to say? Because I have this persona of, you know, no AI. Um, I immediately got afraid that some of you would be like, Dennis, you're being a hypocrite now. I'm just trying to be raw here, friends. But the Alexa is through our TV. We talk into the remote. I still don't have the Alexa, what do they call it? The speaker, the dot. Um, I don't have any of that stuff in the house. I don't want something that's constantly listening to me besides my cell phone. All right, let's move on. Next article. This article I think is huge. And again, it it is building a case for us here. This is from the Daily Star. This is another story that's going to get that, that gets stuck in people's minds as, oh wow, maybe this is more real than we thought. But look at the thread into what it's telling us could happen. It's a fear-based statement. And I say this not from a place to scare you, but from a place of are they laying the groundwork here? to plant the seed of fear in our minds. And I think that's a real possibility. This article from the Daily Star is titled, Special SAS Unit Has Been Trained to Respond to an Alien Invasion on Earth. An elite unit of 20 SAS soldiers is being trained to tackle a range of alternative threats, including the possibility of contact with extraterrestrials. And again, this was January 9th, 2021. The picture on here, is uh, they look like grays, the heads aren't as big, but they do have the black eyes, but it's a creepy picture. Okay, now let's think about this. 
Special forces soldiers, special operations soldiers. I mean, it's expensive to train soldiers as it is. To train a special operator, I don't have numbers for you, but I can tell you it costs some money. So two things I have to say on that. One, why would they train that a unit on that if they didn't think something like this was possible? Now, military and government officials typically laugh publicly. It used to be, oh, that's not real. You're crazy. You watch the X-Files too much. That's the stereotype. That's what we see on TV. That's what's reinforced to us. That's what has been reinforced to us up until now. Now we're getting acknowledgement that a special operations unit out of the UK is training for an extraterrestrial invasion. Now we've been seeing this rhetoric amped up and I keep going back to my Edgar Mitchell stuff and the John Podesta stuff and the weaponization of space. This is all from WikiLeaks 2016. Um, and the things talk, Dr. Greer talks about, now Dr. Greer is also against weaponizing space. And then we have the creation of the Space Force. And now I go back to Bill Cooper's book about the staged alien invasion. And now we're starting to see, well, actually, we have elite military units that are training to prepare for an extraterrestrial invasion. Does that mean one's gonna happen? I don't, I can't say for sure. Does that mean a staged one's gonna happen? I can't say for sure. I just think it's curious that they're now publicly talking about things. And, and why release that story? Why release a story like that? What's the reason for putting a story out there like that? I, I, I don't know. All right. Next story. Speaking of aliens, here we go. This is from December 3rd, 2020. It's a little bit older, but I felt it was important to share. Elon Musk swears he'll send humans to Mars by 2026. That seems as impossible, but if anyone can make it happen, all right, just the fact that he's talking about, I'm going to send humans to Mars by 2026. He had initially said 2030. I think it was 2050, then 2030, now 2026. A couple things on that, and I'm going to go down some rabbit holes here, but I have to ask myself, what does he know? Why is he in such a rush? Does Is he of the mindset that the earth is going through some significant changes around that time, 2025, 2026, are we going to need to have a mass exodus off of the planet by 2026 or a small exodus, a colony of people to go off and survive uh, during whatever happens here on the planet Earth? Because by some accounts, things are going to get pretty rough. Um, that's not what this show is about right now, but I wonder why he pushes for that so quickly. So he says he'll send people to Mars by 2026 or even 2024. This timeline has Musk taking off for Mars when NASA is just reaching the moon again. Uh, we can't ignore the countless unanswered questions about Mars travel and habitation. So and here it is, an awards ceremony this week, Elon Musk said he believes he can start sending humans to Mars with SpaceX by 2026 and the latest, or 2024, if we get lucky. I'm gonna share this article for you to read the entire thing. Now, 
maybe this is just a stepping stone for Elon Musk. Maybe if he says that and it gets the ball rolling, it's going to advance his company. Maybe that was strictly a business move to make a statement like that. He's not afraid of failure. Uh, so he, who knows? Was this a strategic thing or is this a real goal he set for himself? There's some great interviews out there with Elon Musk where he says, people told me I couldn't do this. He couldn't make a rocket land by itself. And I did it. You know, uh, they said things about uh, some of the other ventures that he's had. I can't remember what they are right now. Keep in mind, speaking of AI, Elon Musk is, is the one behind Neuralink where he's working to uh, merge the human mind with artificial intelligence. He says if you can't beat him, join him. So he's creating an interface between your mind and basically the Internet or the cloud or a computer system or an AI so we can enhance our brains. I suspect there's something else going on with this guy. Um, I would love to remote view him and see what uh, you know what's going on inside and what his motivation and inspiration is because uh, he's a fascinating, fascinating person. Okay. Oh my goodness! Look at this article. This one comes to us from uh, curiousmos.com. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but. This is dated, I don't have a date on it, but here's the title of it. Oh, I'm looking for a date. Nope, no date here. Here's the title of it. Hopes of alien life on Mars increase after new satellite images reveal network of hidden lakes. Again, they're laying the groundwork. Elon Musk says we're going there. We have the SAS training to fight for an alien invasion. We have the, the government that's supposed to be releasing Everything, it, not everything, it knows whatever it can about UFOs within the next now five months. And now we've got hopes of alien life on Mars increase after new satellite images reveal network of hidden lakes. If we found life on Mars, on one of our neighbors, that changes everything, everything. So here we go. Scientists confirmed the discovery of a massive lake of liquid water 20 kilometers in diameter and reported this discovery of three new saltwater lakes beneath the Martian surface. Thanks to the Marsis radar of the ESA, ESA Mars Express Orbiter, a team led by Sebastian Emmanuel Laro and Elena Pentanelli of the University of Roma Tre, has confirmed the presence of a complex system of saltwater, uh, saltwater lakes under the South Martian pole cap. Roberto, uh, where are you at here? The discovery of the subterranean saltwater lakes is a big deal, and experts say that these bodies of water could still retrain traces of any forms of life to this day. This discovery deepens our understanding of the red planet and helps us better understand what Mars, uh, what Mars was like in the distant past and what the red planet is like today. As it turns out, Mars is a hidden gem, and its most important features are located beneath the surface, hidden from ordinary sight. However, satellite images from various space agencies are helping reveal the hidden jewels of the red planet. All right, now let's backtrack a minute. I have spoken to a variety of people with a variety of backgrounds. I've spoken to some people online who said they believe there's life below the ground of Mars. I spoke with a skeptic, probably one of my biggest skeptics. And they said to me, I heard there was life beneath the surface of Mars. 
I said, do you mean like microbial life or intelligent life? And they said intelligent life. And that surprised me that they presented that data to me in a way that was unbiased and, hey, I think it's possible. For me to hear that from someone with that's that skeptical of things that I talk about floored me. Uh, so I, now we have the Israeli ex space chief, the ex-Israeli, I can't remember how to say it. He was the space chief for uh, Israeli, Israeli space program. And within the last two shows, I covered it. He was saying that there is life on Mars and that aliens have visited you know, here. And he also said that we have uh, American astronauts on Mars below the surface. You, you go down the Corey Good, not Corey Good. Uh, yeah, maybe it is Corey Good. I think it's Corey Good. David Wilcox Camp talking about their secret, secret space program. And there's some Mars stories on that one as well. So uh, one more thing. Then we, we look at remote viewing data. And several remote viewers have reported something, life forms, on Mars. Now, I just did a remote viewing session. Now, caveat, I am a trainee. I share this data for fun only. But I looked at, uh, I was tasked to look at the face on Mars. And I got data that suggests a structure, an intelligently designed structure that I likened to the pyramids of South America. I'm going to look at some of my data to see if there's anything that's worth sharing here. I had this uh, some some words here beacon beacon of hope where are we at here so I had a mix I, what I wrote at the end was I had a mix of life structures and energetics life felt strong in several stages structures were mixed one felt crafted circular beveled angular and rotational another was larger heavy angular possibly stone and old primary life felt female but male in early stages calm confident positive energy with this life surrounded by grief but hopeful so i had this um data come back when i was looking at the face on mars so my quick story that i put together when i look at that is maybe there was possibly a structure uh, on Mars, and I was picking up on some life that was affiliated with it. Okay, let's move on. Got a few more stories here. All right. Oh my goodness, this is from this is from May third, two thousand twenty. So it's still not that far away, but this one came from BigThink.com, and it says octopus-like creatures inhabit Jupiter's moon claims space scientists. A leading British space scientist thinks there is life under the ice sheets of Europa. No coincidence I found this right when they're putting out the Mars story saying it's possible there's life under the surface, uh, under the uh, waters of Mars as well. So what this article says is a British scientist named Professor Monica Grady recently came out in support of extraterrestrial life on Europa. Europa, the sixth largest moon in the solar system, may have favorable conditions for life under its miles of ice. The moon is one of Jupiter's 79. We've heard a lot about Europa in, in works of fiction uh, and, and now. Um, 
But again, it's important to note that scientists and media outlets are covering and planting the seed of the possibility that there is life within our solar system that's extraterrestrial from our planet, okay? Right now, they're not talking intelligent life. They're leaving it open-ended, but they're saying life, you know, sea life, microbial life, animal life. I think we're seeing, the, the again, the foundation being laid. I, I'm, ex I'm excited for this. And I know that there can be a lot of fear that comes with something like this, especially if the story comes out of an invasion, which I always say to be highly skeptical of. But take that out of it. If we get acknowledgement, real acknowledgement and proof that alien life exists, I feel vindicated. I feel validated. I feel like anything is possible. Like there is life beyond this planet. And I think that's a beautiful, magnificent thing. I think that's a wonderful scientific discovery. And I think it also has powerful spiritual implications to process that as a planet, as a civilization. I think that's incredible. Okay, let's move on. The next story, it's not gonna be about aliens again, is it, Dennis? Guess what? Yes, it is. And this one is from January 23rd, 2021. Again, from Daily Star. Alien bombshell, as Harvard scientist says, space is full of extraterrestrial ships. Alien spaceships could outnumber humans by more than 140,000 to one, according to a top astronomer. Who is this? Professor A.V. Loeb. He's the one we talked about earlier with Oumuamua. He believes the, uh, there are quadrillions of UFO ships in space. That's a major statement to make right there. Quadrillions. Okay, now this guy is the real deal. He's got the real credentials here to, to make a statement like that. He reckons a space rock that visited Earth in 2017 was alien and believes more are on the way with a quadrillion similar objects within our solar system alone. Let me, let me go back and say that. A quadrillion similar objects within our solar system alone. Now, a quadrillion sounds like a monumentously intimidating number. Before I read on, let's just ground ourselves for a minute. That doesn't mean that they're all pointed towards Earth. That doesn't mean that they're all hostile aliens that are going to come here and invade us. What that speaks to is the size of the universe, the size of the solar system. Uh, and, and I'm sorry, did he say solar system? Yeah, he said within our solar system alone. If you get an opportunity, take a look at the size of our solar system and the vastness of our solar system. And I think that might be a little bit more humbling when you see a number like quadrillion compared to something that big. Let's leave it at that and let's go on a little bit. The academic told the New Statesman that there should be one in every volume roughly the size of the orbit of the Earth around the Sun. It's pretty small. So it means that there are plenty of them, a quadrillion of them, inside the Oort cloud, inside the solar system. There are lots of them. 
Professor Loeb, who runs the Department of Astronomy at one of the world's most prestigious universities, claimed an object traveled towards Earth's solar system from the direction of Vega, over 25 light years away, and intercepted our solar system's orbital plane on September 6th. Now, we've already talked about that. Now, I, you know, I'm going to go on a tangent again. I think it's curious that the movie Contact, and again, it's because it's one of the, it's the closest one, but movie Contact uh, was centered around Vega as well. And now we have something coming from Vega. And I keep thinking of that one guy who says, the, the old guy who funded everything, and he goes, want to go for a ride? I think that was an awesome line. I hear that in my mind when I look at some of the work that, uh, that Elon Musk does as well. We're getting there, friends. We're getting there. So I'm going to share this. Um, and, and this guy's putting out a book. He's writing his upcoming book, Extraterrestrial, The First Sign of Intelligent Life Beyond Earth. Um, I think that's important to note that he's making statements like this while he's promoting a book. Maybe it's just an outrageous statement to get you to look into his book. That's highly possible. But again, media outlets are picking this up and covering it. And I think that's important to, for us to note. And maybe it's a deception, and that's possible too. And that brings us close to that voice of fear. What if I'm being lied to? Well, what if it's fun to investigate, explore, and read about? That's how I want to look at this. All right. Uh, we spoke of the Black Vault. I'm going to have a link up uh, on my Sixth Sense Media website for the uh, for the show within the show notes. Sorry, I'm struggling to find the words right now. They have a, an article or a, an archive here. It's called The Planet Mars, Time of Interest Approximately 1 Million Years B.C. It's from the Stargate Collection, Mars Exploration, May 22nd. 1984. I believe this is remote viewing data, Stargate being the remote viewing program. I haven't looked at the data yet. It's nine pages long. Uh, you know what? I'm going to pull it up right now. This is my first uh, glimpse at it. So this is approved for release by the CIA dated May 22nd, 1984, Mars Exploration. Okay. Um, looking here at the data, low-level data. Okay, I'm going to share some of this data starting on page two towards the bottom. And the remote viewer is saying, deep inside of a cavern, not a cavern, but more like a canyon. Um, I'm looking up, up the sides of a steep wall that seemed to go on forever. And there's like a structure with, uh, it's like the wall of the canyon itself has been carved. Again, I'm getting a very large structures. No, uh, ah, no, intricacies. Huge sections of smooth stone. The monitor asks, do the structures have insides and outsides? The remote viewer, yes, they're very, it's like a rabbit warren, corners of rooms. They're really huge. I, I don't feel like I'm standing in one, it's just really huge. Perception is that the ceiling is very high, walls very wide. Yes, that would be correct, says the monitor. All right, I'd like to move now to another location nearby. All right, move from this point in this time, too. And he gives him coordinates. And he says here, the remote viewer, they have, uh, appears to be the end of a very large road, and there is a marker thing that's very large. Keep getting Washington Monument overlay. It's like an obelisk. And then he moves them to some other targets. I haven't read through this whole thing yet, but I thought that's pretty relevant to what we're talking about tonight. 
Um, and I just wanted to give you food, food for thought, not food for the archons, food for thought here um, on some, that's some older, much older original remote viewing data coming out of Stargate. I'm not sure who the viewers were on that, um, but I'll have to go back and look at it. All right, so we've got all this stuff coming out about the possibility of aliens and ETs and the possibility that they're here right in our solar system, Mars and the moons of Jupiter. That's pretty close. It's in our backyard. That's a trip we can possibly attain. We can definitely send our drones out there. Some say we already have people there, but with Elon Musk is saying we're going to be there within the next couple of years. There's a story that's unfolding here, friends. So, with that being said, here is where we need to proceed with caution. January 27th, 2021, Daily Caller reports the following. Joy Reid suggests that ignoring climate change might provoke an alien attack. NBC, MSNBC host Joy Reid said Wednesday that if aliens ever did attack Earth, it might be because humans failed to take the proper steps to fight climate change. Reid spoke with White House National Climate Advisor Gina McCarthy about the executive orders President Joe Biden had signed earlier in the day, making climate change a national security priority. These actions include elevated climate change to a national security priority, suspending new leases for natural gas and oil development on federal lands and water, and directing the government to rely on science, Reid began, saying that it marked a complete reversal of former President Donald Trump's approach. Okay, so skipping ahead a little bit, she continues, it's very important for the planet. You know, I always feel like if aliens ever really exist and they come back to and attack us, it's because we destroyed the planet. That would be our punishment, Reed said, going on to ask McCarthy specifically how much damage had been done by Trump's presidency. So, am I making a mountain out of a molehill here? No, I don't think so. I think that she made this statement tongue-in-cheek, kind of, but she still made the statement, which then was the headline for The Daily Caller. So this is not a story about aliens, but it is a mainstream media person saying, if we fail climate change, that is a reason why aliens would attack us. She didn't say it with a go put your tinfoil hat on. She didn't say it in a mocking way. She just said, if aliens are real and they decide to attack us, let me use a little bit of fear. It's because we didn't take care of our planet. So again, it's planting that seed out there. So where does that leave us, friends? It leaves us right here in this moment with possibility. It's possible that we will discover life on Mars. It's possible that we will land on Mars publicly within the next three to 10 years. Um, yeah, wow, within the next three to 10 years. It's possible that we will have confirmation that UFOs are here and piloted by non-human entities. It's possible that those entities will be identified as extraterrestrial. It's possible that we will have a threat coming from those entities. It's possible that that threat is fake or staged or something else. There are so many possibilities. And I find it exciting 
to think about them. And no matter how it's presented in the media, let us please be mindful of the track record of the media. I need to do a show on this. I need to do maybe next the next week or two, I'll talk about some fake news stuff um, and what that's doing to us. Let's, I hope if I was able to convey something this week, even in the scary stuff, what can we learn uh, about that event, about ourselves, about something new, and how can we manage our fear? How can we turn it into something positive and maybe even pleasurable or enjoyable when we're dealing with hardship? I haven't fully figured it out yet, friends, but I, I certainly hope to, and uh, I hope you will too. So uh, it's, it's a pleasure to be back on the air with you. Like I said, life's been pretty crazy lately. Um, I'm hoping to continue to make this regular. The show's in my heart. You're all in my heart. And, um, you know, I, I, I am sorry for not getting on here more. Um, life's just been, been challenging and busy. But uh, I will continue to do the best I can. I have had a chance to put up, check out my YouTube channel. I've been putting up some uh, some promos for Food for the Archons. I've been sharing some what I'm calling behind the scenes with the author, where I'm taking sections from the book and doing somewhat of a, a background story on where I was when I was writing that. Not physically, but where my headspace was and my thoughts on it today. They're anywhere from four to six, seven minutes long. Uh, and now I'm also doing one minute promos. Um, where I'm sharing excerpts from my book. Part of that's marketing to get people interested, but if you haven't read the book yet, please go take a listen to some of these that are out there um, because it, it will give you an understanding of you know, really what's inside that book. And uh, your purchases for that book support what I'm doing here. So I, I certainly appreciate it. And if you have read the book, uh, I, I ask you uh, humbly, if you could please write a review on Amazon. That really, uh, that really helps show it to other people and help other people to find it. So those are great ways that you can support the show is uh, book purchases, referring them to your friends, and writing those reviews on Amazon. So please, if you have an opportunity to do so, please uh, go ahead and do it. And that's going to do it for this episode, my friends. This has been another episode of The Secret Podcast. I'm Dennis Nappy II with Sixth Sense Media where small changes among the masses can have a massive impact around the world. I encourage you to be that change. Never stop questioning. Keep an open mind. And let your intuition be your guide. Thank you.
water, my friend, my friend, my friend.